You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. In 2010, I um, remember sitting um, at the bedside of, uh, of a very good friend of mine who used to go to our church here. <clears throat> he was a, a person who just over the last year had become a, a, a new believer in Jesus Christ. And uh, um, he was now uh, lying in a hospice bed in his home, and he was dying of cancer. Um, when I had cancer the previous year, uh, we were both diagnosed in the same month, and we were in the same office complex, and we became good friends. Um, I went into remission, and his just got worse, and it progressed to the point that it, it was taking his life. And I remember... Um, uh, I'd shot some video because I chronicled my whole story on video and I had shot some video of him and I still to this day have not watched that video or uh, edited that video because I can't bring myself to to watch it. Um, he was a new believer and he was uh, there dying and we prayed together often and uh, I pleaded with God to spare his life. He had great, great faith and... Um, he had a wife and some kids who uh, who loved him deeply, and uh, I remember uh, crying with him, and uh, and I remember him encouraging me. And uh, uh, he was knocked down, but he had not been knocked out. And I remember sitting there with him, and uh, his faith never wavered, um, and he was confident that the Lord was doing a great work. And he says, and I remember he says, you know, if 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 all of this was for me to meet Jesus, all of this talking about his cancer, his pain, everything, all of this, he says, if it brought me to Jesus, it was worth it. And um, he ended up passing away within the week of that final meeting I had with him. I had seen him a couple days later, but by that point, um, you're near the end, you go into a kind of a coma state as your body begins to shut down and your brain begins to shut down. But I remember that. It's one of the last moments of real clarity we had together. And uh, I remembered how he taught me and, uh, and, and it reminded me how life is frail, how life is brief. And uh, that moment, uh, as, as dealing with people who you love when they pass away, how often those things shape you. And we have been talking and going through and unpacking 2 Corinthians and going through how the things of life like this shape us and change us and make us into more of what God has designed for us. Now, as... As I go through the year and I plan out kind of what I'm going to be preaching on throughout the year and I prayfully kind of talk about it to the Lord and kind of work through it, um, the original title of this series was called Strapped uh, because the entire book deals with a lot of pain and suffering and just how when you feel like you've been, when life has beat you down, but rather than focusing on the the the, the aspect of, of pain and suffering, I wanted to focus on how this is a story of life change for us. And um, so today we're going to continue in Second Corinthians, the messy process of becoming more like Christ. We're going to pick up right where we left off last week, Second Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to begin with verse 7, and it says this, but we have this treasure. What's the treasure? The treasure that he's talking about 
is Jesus, is the knowledge of Jesus. We have this, this treasure. We have this, man, you know, knowing Jesus, the knowledge of Christ, the, the fact that you and I can sit here and talk about and understand and grasp and meet and know and lift up Jesus, what a treasure. He says, we have this treasure in jars of clay. He's talking about our bodies. He's talking about you and me. He says, we have this treasure in common, ordinary, fragile, easy to break containers called our bodies. That's us. We have this treasure in us, not just in us, but in jars of clay, earthen vessels that are common and ordinary and breakable. He says, to show, we have this treasure in us to show that all of this surpassing power, that is the power of life change, the power of God, is from God, not from us. God chose this weak and feeble body to do great things for him and to shine. He gave us the knowledge of his goodness in our life, even though this life, is frail, weak, and common, and breakable. You know, I can't help but think of Psalm 8. Write that down in your notes and read that this week. The the writer saying, God, how awesome you are. The heavens declare your glory. Who is man that you are mindful of him? Who am I, God, that you would even look down from the universe and say, I want you, men and women. I want you bodies that are frail. I want you broken vessels of clay. I want you to know me and to be filled with me. Great passage in Psalm 8, the entire psalm, a short psalm, how God uses the ordinary ordinary to show his extraordinary, his extraordinary power. A simple jar, you and me, to be filled up and poured out. He goes on in verse 8, he says, we are hard-pressed This is good stuff right here. This is a verse to memories. We are hard-pressed, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but we are not abandoned. We are struck down, but we are not destroyed. I want you to notice, he says, we are these things. We are hard-pressed, but not crucified. We are perplexed, but we're not in despair. We are persecuted, but we are not abandoned. We are struck down, but we are not destroyed. He says, I want you to realize, life is hard. We are going to go through it. Have you ever felt that way? You know what I love about this passage? First of all, a couple things I want you to know is that pain and suffering is, is real, even for a Christian. So if you're here today and you're not a Christian, giving your life to Christ isn't the silver bullet that takes out the pain and suffering in your life. And if you are a Christian and you're going through pain and suffering, you might be questioning your faith, your life, your doubt. It's like, it's because I, I'm a, it's because something's wrong with me, right? I want you to realize pain and suffering is a part of being a person. Pain and suffering is a part of being in a, a, a vessel of clay, a, a fragile, common, ordinary, breakable vessel. That's what you are. And, and pain and suffering is real. We can't escape it no matter who you are. But, and this is the second thing I want you to know, but in Christ, we are not defeated. Amen. You know, that is good news. That means pain and suffering is a part of life. But if you are a Christian... You're not defeated. That's why he says, he says, all, he says, yeah, that's right. I'm, I'm, 
I'm hard-pressed. Life is hard, but I'm not crushed. I am perplexed, but I am not in despair. I have not given up. I am persecuted. There are those that attacked me, but I'm not abandoned because the Lord is with me. I am struck down. I am beaten. I am left for dead, but they can't destroy my spirit. Mm. Uh, If you remove those, the second part, that's really life without Jesus, by the way. Think about it. Without Jesus, life is hard-pressed. You're crushed, you're perplexed, you're in despair, you're abandoned, you're struck down, and you're destroyed. But in Christ, you're not defeated. That's cool. Life is not a cafeteria. We don't get to choose our trouble. They choose us. But we get to choose how to respond. So the Apostle Paul, what he does is he says, guys, life is hard, but I've chosen to respond and see this life and this world and eternity differently. And because of that, it's changed the way I respond to life's trials and hardships and struggles. And in fact, in the, in twice in the same chapter, he says, do not lose heart. That means don't give up, don't give in, uh, don't fall out, don't get discouraged. He says twice, do not lose heart. So how, you, how will you respond? And this is what he says, verse 10, he goes on to say, he says, we always carry around, say always. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. He's talking about the trials of our physical body now. He says, just as Jesus became a man to save us because we are a broken vessel, the death of Jesus, that crucifixion, that horrible moment of torture, dismay, and nails, and death. He says, we carry that in our body as a reminder of the life that he has given us. I want you to think about this. Death reminds us we're broken and in need of a savior. Every time you're sick, it reminds you, you need Jesus. Every time you have a pain in your body, it reminds you, you need Jesus. Every time you go through a physical ailment, it reminds you, Jesus died on the cross for us. So instead of going, God, why am I sick? You think, God, thank you that you sent Jesus. I'm sick because I needed you. He says, this death of the body, it reminds me of the death of Jesus. And it reminds me how much I need him. It reveals Jesus. I want you to write this down. I want to give you some reasons why Paul was not defeated. And then we're going to look at how his view changed him and how it can change us. Real quickly, we're going to unpack these. Is Paul was not defeated because he saw a bigger work. The physical pains of this life, he understood, revealed Jesus in his life. And, and when you're going through that pain, when you're going through that suffering, when you're going through that affliction, when you're going through that trial, Paul understood he saw a bigger, a bigger work taking place. Here's what he says in the next passage. He says, for We who are alive are always, everybody say always. He says that a lot in this. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus. For Jesus' sake, that is. Basically, he says, our life is at stake for serving Jesus. He says, just for being a believer, our life is in danger. Now, in their culture, it wasn't like, you know, my friends won't like me anymore and I'll have to sit at home alone on Friday night. For them, it was family who abandoned them, friends who had them arrested. For them, it was torture. 
It was basically how Christians live in large parts of the world outside of, of uh, Europe and America and, uh, or the Northern Hemisphere. We, we have this, this culture in America. We think persecution is someone not liking us because we said, you know, Jesus is, is Lord of my life. We're like, oh, better not say it, you know. He's talking about their life is literally at stake. There's the word literally. At stake for serving Jesus so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. I love that. Our life is in danger, but we're willing to go through this for the sake of knowing that others are coming to know Jesus. I want you to write this down. Paul was not defeated because he saw a bigger plan. He didn't just see a bigger work that God was doing in him, but he saw a bigger plan. He says, you know what? I will stand in the face of persecution. I will stand in the face of a beating. I will be uh, ridiculed and mocked. I will be left uh, naked and confused and, and starving and hungry and abandoned. I will do, I will allow myself to be hard-pressed and perplexed and persecuted and struck down, but I will not be destroyed. I will not be defeated because I know that God has a larger plan at work. People are coming to know Jesus. Paul's perspective, Paul's response was, you met Jesus, so it's all worth it. It, it, it makes me think of, of Randy who was sitting in, a, in, his, in his hospice bed dying. And he says, you know what? If, if all of this pain and suffering in my body that I'm going through led me and my wife and my kids to know Jesus just months prior, I got to lead his daughter and his son-in-law into a relationship with Christ and I did their wedding. And one of the last few times he could actually take himself down an aisle and walk, he walked his daughter down the aisle. And he says, you know what? If, if people meeting Jesus happened because of this, it was worth it. The Apostle Paul in a different circumstance, but with the same spirit says, you know what? I, I'm not defeated because I see a larger plan. Verse 13 Basically, he says, uh, you met Jesus, so every stripe on my back, every beating, every limp, every scar is worth it when I see you. Verse 13, he says, it is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. Now, we don't understand that passage, but what Paul was doing is, Paul was a very gifted speaker. He was a, he was a Pharisee before he was a believer. That meant he knew God's Old Testament law very, very, very clearly. And what he was doing there, he was doing a very common, uh, teachable moment where basically Jesus did a lot. Like when Jesus said, my father, why have you forsaken me? He was actually quoting a psalm to unpack and every good Jewish person knew the psalm and knew that that whole psalm was a fulfillment of the suffering of a of the Messiah whose father never abandoned him. But we look at that verse and think, oh, the father turned his back. Read the whole Psalm that he's quoting and you realize the father never turned his back on Jesus. I want you to realize that. Read the Psalm. Well, Paul is saying one line from a Psalm, one line that is unpacked in the heart of every person who knew the Psalms at that point. So I want to read that Psalm, Psalm 116. The whole psalm is powerful, but I'm just going to read a couple of verses. It's a psalm about perseverance in the midst of trial. In verse 2, he says, I will call upon you as long as I live, as long as, even if I'm in distress. And this is what he says in verse 8. He says, for you 
have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before you, Lord, in the land of the living. And he says, I believed even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. Paul was quoting that verse 10 where he says, I believed, therefore I have spoken. He was saying the rest of the psalm they would have known. And it says, I believed even when I spoke, even when I had said, I am greatly afflicted. I said that because I believed. I want you to hear this out. Acknowledging pain is not a lack of faith. In fact, it can be just the opposite. You know, when, when I had cancer, I didn't walk around for a year going, I don't have cancer. Don't confess it. You know, if you've got a cold, don't go, I don't have a cold. I'm not sick. I'm just taking antibiotics because I like them. You're kidding yourself. I don't have a broken arm. Ah! I know a friend of mine whose, whose daughter was diagnosed with diabetes and uh, she got on her insulin and, I mean, she got a regimen. It changed their life. It kind of rearranged how they had to do life. But uh, years into it, he still doesn't acknowledge that she has diabetes. I'm like, you're out of your mind, man. Acknowledging affliction does not show a lack of faith. It shows stupidity. Acknowledging affliction does got an opportunity to do a miracle in your life. If you never had it, then how... Does it show God's glory when he gives you the grace to endure or a miracle to be free from? The writer of Psalms says, I believed even when I spoke, I am afflicted. So Paul says that very same Psalm, he says, I believed, therefore I have spoken. He goes on to say, since we have the same spirit of faith, remember, he just acknowledges pain and suffering. He says, we have the same spirit of faith, Faith we also believe, and therefore we speak it also. We do the same. We cry out to God in our troubles because of faith, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. Now, check this out for just a minute. He says, I can acknowledge I have pain in my life, not because I'm believing and holding out for a miracle, Though that might happen, he says, but I'm saying it because I know that one day I'll be dead. And one day I'll be raised with Jesus and I won't have any pain anymore. Listen to that. That's a totally different declaration of faith. When you're sick and you think, thank you, Jesus, one day I'll be dead. I have great faith, Lord Jesus, and in my affliction, I'm calling out to you in faith. Because I have faith that one day I'll be dead and be raised again like Christ, with Christ, seated with Christ, with a new body, a new life. Pain and suffering will be over. Anytime you're healed in this life, thank God for that. It's his glory. It's his power. He heals. He does miracles today as a glimpse, as a snapshot, as a piece, as a slice of heaven. But if, if we never died, we would never be glorified. You realize that, right? So Paul is saying, yeah, miracles are awesome. Miracles show the glory of God. And he says it in other verses. He says they they declare, they testify that God is at work here and that this isn't man's work. But he says, but the real issue of faith is when trials come, we won't always be healed. But thank God I'm going to be dead one day and I'm going to be risen again and I'm going to have a new body. Man, that's some serious 
crazy type of faith. This is we never quit. We never give up. We endure trials for eternal life with Christ awaits us. This is not our home. This body is not my, my, my final destination. Knowing that brings great boldness. I want you to write this down. The Paul was not defeated because he saw a greater life. You know, if I get healed in this life, thank God, because I want to live to be an old man. I'm four years in remission. Next uh, February will be five years, and at that time I'm considered, in quotations, cancer-free. I'm cancer-free now, baby. You know what I'm saying? But in five years, I'll be declared cancer-free for my doctor, and my chance of getting a repeat uh, cancer get uh, diminished a little bit. But, man, I want to be old. I want to be an old man. I want to see my, my kids, grand, uh, my kids' kids, you know, tackle me and crawl on me. And, and I want to spoil them like, like grandparents spoil my kids, right? I, I want to give them things that they're not supposed to have and, and let them go places they're not supposed to do and drive cars when they shouldn't be driving yet. I, I want to do that stuff. If God allows me, I want to do that stuff. But I see a greater life. As Christ is raised, so are those who are his. Death is not the end. Eternity waits everyone in this room. Eternity waits you. But only those who are in Christ live an eternal life, an eternal hope with a new body and a new, a new body. By the way, we're going to talk about that in a minute. The body is not the enemy. Your body is not your enemy. He goes this in verse 15. He says, all those, all this is for your benefit. He says, all that pain, all that suffering that I'm going through, it's for your benefit. So that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. He says, man, all these troubles, it's for the advancement of Jesus. He says, therefore, do not lose heart. There's one of those, don't get discouraged. Therefore, don't lose heart. Though outwardly, we are wasting away. Everybody say wasting away. Turn to your neighbor and husbands and wives turn to each other and go, you're wasting away. (laughs) Then you can say, I know. (laughs) Outwardly, we are wasting away. Yet inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. It's because Paul wasn't defeated because he saw a greater life. God's making me into something greater on the inside, though my body is, is, is dying I'm not discouraged. I don't give up when my body doesn't, my body doesn't work right because outwardly I may be dying, but inwardly I'm growing. God is working in me and making me something quite dynamic. Here's a reality check. Pain is real. Death is imminent. In fact, Romans tells us that death came into all people for all of sin. The reason that we, God did not create us to die, but sin introduced death into this world. And as a result, we have hurricanes, tornadoes, death. And all of us are dying as a result of sin. And thank God Jesus came to, to the earth. He set us free from our sins. So now in Christ, we are made new and we get a new body one day. But I want you to hear this, is that your day is coming. <laughs> so be blessed. Let's close in prayer. Um, and actually, a guy named Pat Conroy in a book called South Abroad uh, wrote this uh, phrase in his book, and it's heavy. So I, I thought it was very descriptive. I don't normally read passages like this, but listen to this. He says, he says, um, he it gives us a sobering descriptive as only a writer. Writers are great, man. You have skilled writers. They, they, how he weaves death into our existence. Listen to this. He says, the moment you are born, your death is foretold by your newly minted cells as your mother holds you, then hands you 
to your newly, uh, to your new father, uh, to your father, who gently tickles the stomach where the cancer will one day form, steadies the eyes where melanoma's dark signature is already uh, written along the optic nerve, touches the back where the liver will one day house the cirrhosis, feels the bloodstream that will sweeten itself into diabetes, admires the shape of the head where the brain will fall to the axe handle of a stroke or lightens to your heart or listens to your heart, which exhausted by the fearful ways and humiliations and indecencies of life will explode in your chest like a light going out in the world. Death lives in each one of us and begins its countdown on our birthdays and makes its rough entrance as the last hour at the last hour and at the perfect time. Wow. That is like depressing. But it's so true. This lie, I mean, everybody take a breath. That's one of the last ones as the countdown has begun already. That's one last breath. That's one less breath you'll have at the end, right? So like, I'm holding my breath in because I want to save them up. Well, you might go there faster. Paul says, <laughs> we are dying. But in Christ, we are ever living. I'm not defeated because I see a greater life. Verse 17, he says, for our light and momentary, uh, momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. He says, man, everything that you go through in this life, all that pain, all that suffering, all that loneliness, all that despair. He said, man, if you read the next, uh, in a couple chapters on, we're going to get to what Paul went through. It's very descriptive. We're going to read that and go, man, that doesn't sound light. And if you look at your troubles, you know, my life, my, my life has not been easy, right? You might be thinking to yourself. But he says, in comparison to the weight of what is awaiting us, he says, it seems like, he says, when you, when you have heaven in mind, it's different. So we fix our eyes on what is seen, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So I want you to write this down. Paul was not defeated because he saw a superior reward. His reward wasn't being 120. By the way, like we got Memorial uh, Weekend, one of the, the oldest, I think it was 107, the oldest vet, you know, U.S. vet. You know, I mean, wow. We may not have 107 years. And that, that guy looked great, looked healthy, looked strong. I hope I do. But you know what? That would be a cool reward. But the reward is superior. The reward is afterwards. We are to fix our eyes on heaven, our resurrection, our new body, the unseen, the eternal. Ask the person next to you, what are you looking at? What are you looking at? <laughs> because Paul says this. Paul says, you, you want to live a life of victory? You want to live a life of overcoming? You want to live a life where you are free from the shackles and the pain and the suffering of this world? He says, you want to live a life not being defeated, then fix your eyes on a superior, on a greater life, on a greater reward. This is not our home. We're travelers here. We're foreigners in a strange land, the Bible says, if you're a Christian. We're on a journey. 
And I want as many as people to know about Jesus on this journey so that as many might go with me. It's an open invitation. Eternity with Jesus is an open invitation. And I'm going to take as many of you with me that will come with me. At that day, there'll be no more hatred, no more abuse, no more hurricanes, no more tornadoes, no more crime, no more sadness, no more cancer, no more sickness, no more fear, no more death. And let me tell you something, if I walk it alone, if I walk this journey with my eyes fixed on eternity, if I walk it alone, still I will walk it. And if it gets hard, still I will walk it. For it will be worth it. For it is a superior reward than any Thing this life has to offer. Paul then talks about this eternal body that we're going to get that awaits us. This is a patch that's often read at funerals. When I do funerals, these, these are some of the verses that I often will do at a funeral. So he says, uh, the next uh, verse is chapter five, verse one. He says, for we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, that's this body, we have a building from God, a new body, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. We live in a tent. You have a tent and you guys bring camping, you know, tents, they wear out, they begin to sag. Everybody said amen. Um, Our tents begin to wear out. They begin to sag. They begin, they get weathered. They get wrinkled. They get creaky. They, uh, gravity is, is forever pulling at them. But one day we get a real house. We get a real home. And it's not built by human hands. It's built by the creator himself. It's a glorified body. Guys, salvation is just not for the soul of the spirit. Salvation is for our body too. Salvation awaits our body. Verse two, he says, meanwhile, until then, until that day when we're dead and we get a new body, until that day when we get a glorified new building and this tent is gone, until then we groan, longing to be clothed, Instead, with our heavenly dwelling, life is painful, he says. You know what? I mean, until I get that new body where I don't have this pain anymore, till I don't have this sickness anymore, till my father doesn't feel what he's feeling anymore, till my kids don't have to go through what they're going through, until then, he says, I'm groaning, I'm crying out, I'm in pain, I'm longing to be clothed with a heavenly body. He says, but until then, I'm groaning, longing to be in my new body because when we are clothed, talking about the new body, we will not be found naked. He's not talking about being literally naked. Basically, naked represents our needs that will always leave us bare. No matter how hungry you are, you're always going to be hungry again. No matter how nice of clothes you have, your clothes will always wear out. No matter how many things you think you need in this life, they will all die. They will all shrivel up. They will all waste away. They will all leave you naked and in despair. He says, but thanks be to God that there is a new life, a new dwelling, a new body. And and it's not a tent that will wear away, but it's an eternal body built by God himself. And he says, and when that day comes, I will never be found naked. I will never be found in need. Mm. Buddhism, if if you're familiar with Buddhism, uh, says that, that the body is our enemy, that freedom is basically getting this state of nothingness where we're like floating around like, hey man, dude, what are you thinking of? Nothing. It's like heaven. Yeah, if you're a stoner, maybe. But 
Buddhism says that the body is the enemy and that freedom is nothingness. Guys, listen, our body, look at your hand and say, you're not the enemy. You're not the enemy. Your body is not the enemy. The problem is the effects that sin has on the body. Jesus approved the goodness of the body by becoming a man himself. If there was something evil about being a person and and dwelling in a body, then Jesus would never have combined his divinity with humanity for the rest of eternity. When he died on the cross, he was in human form 100%. He was fully God, fully man. He dwelled in the body of a man, endured the pain and suffering that we felt upon ourselves. was buried in a tomb and rose again from the dead as the son of man. That means in the body of a human being. And check this out. He sits on the throne of heaven in a glorified body, not as a spirit, but a glorified body. The same body that rose from the grave and appeared for the disciples and sat down and had a fish breakfast. The same ones that said, hey, take a look at my hands. Put your hand on my side. I'm the real one. This is me. It's flesh and blood. Does not appear, uh, a spirit does not appear before you. He says, look, it's me. That same Jesus that rose from the grave is on the throne and we will view him. We will see him for the rest of eternity. This invisible God is made known to us through Christ, God in the flesh, in a body. The body is not the enemy. Flesh and blood is not the enemy. Sin's effects on it are the enemy. A resurrected man is on the throne. He goes on to say, verse 4 of chapter 5, he says, For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed and said with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed by, uh, swallowed up by life. He says, our new life will be glorious. You know, in medieval times, um, not the restaurant, uh, but... In medieval times, uh, some would actually ask to be buried in clothing of a monk so that when they stood before God on judgment day, they might look like a monk and actually get maybe a little bit better favor with God. Jesus offers a far better garment than a monk outfit. Your, Your Sunday clothes and your best idea of what God's looking for, it's nothing. The Bible says we're clothed in white. Basically, that means in the glory of God. It doesn't mean we're all going to be wearing like white choir robes, you know, <laughs> singing all. It's like, how boring. It's all white. I said, no, we'll be emanating the very glory of God himself. And those white garments represent we are forgiven. We are free. We are clean. We are new. We are clothed and we have no need. Verse 5 of chapter 5, it says, now the one who has fashioned us, for this very purpose, that means this is God's design from the beginning for us to be like this and for him to, us to be with him. Uh, the one who's purposed this is God, who has given us the spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Uh, anybody here engaged? Yeah, wake up your spouse um, to be your, your fiance. Uh, when you are engaged, uh, you might, guys, give your uh, fiance, your wife to be, uh, a, an engagement ring. That word there, a deposit, uh, is basically the literal, it means in Greek, engagement ring. It means that God actually gives us a down payment, a deposit, says, hey, I'm coming, I want to marry you. <laughs> here's my word, here's my bond, and here's the evidence that I'm starting to work in you, all right? The Holy Spirit 
is that engagement ring from God. So if you've said yes to Jesus, you get the Holy Spirit. It's God saying, I've started and I'm coming back for you. And, and here's the Holy Spirit to get you started, to, to, to get you moving in the right direction. When trials hit, it can be hard to take comfort in our heavenly destiny, but God knew this, so he gave us a deposit. He has backed up the promise of heaven with a down payment right now, a piece of heaven, a promise of heaven called the Holy Spirit, a glimpse of heaven. If you've ever been in a service where the Holy Spirit has just been like poured out and you're like, man, this is like heaven. That's the Holy Spirit's deposit guaranteeing a greater glory. If you've ever been in in a trial, a pain, a suffering or sickness and you pray for healing and you get it, it's the power of the Holy Spirit. When you don't get it, and you but you get strength instead, that's the power of the Holy Spirit. When you need boldness and strength and courage when nobody else is on your side, that's the power of the Holy Spirit for those that are his. That's the guarantee. That's the deposit. That's God saying down payment, wedding engagement. Here's a slice. Here's a piece. Here's a glimpse of what's to come. He goes on to say, In verse 6, it says, therefore, we're always confident. And we know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we have faith, not by sight. For we live by faith, not by sight. A lot of us, we read that and we think, well, that means to just walk in faith, brother. Never confess negative. Never confess bad things. That's, first of all, that's dumb. Um, to, To never acknowledge pain and suffering and problems. If you acknowledge them, that gives God an opportunity to actually do something about them. It says, make your prayer requests made known to God. You don't say, God, I don't have a problem, really. I'm not really sick, God, but, you know, I don't want to acknowledge it because, you know, I don't want to have lack of faith. I'm walking. God, I'm already healed. I'm healed. God, I'm praying for my healing that I already have. No, no, you're not. You're praying for a healing that you need. Let's, 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 let's live this Jesus way. I told our worship band this morning that this would would, I'm not, uh, I shouldn't say it. There's people that won't like what I'm going to talk about today. Um, he says, life is hard, life is painful. Trust in the Lord. He says, walk by faith, not by sight. What's the faith we walk by? The faith that we're going to be dead and be glorified one day. <laughs> That's the faith that we walk in. I live with heaven in mind. I walk with eternity in mind. I walk with eyes of faith. I walk in such a way that I'm looking to something I cannot quite see yet. And that is eternity. I fix my eyes on heaven, he said two verses earlier. He says, now I'm walking with that faith. I'm, I'm trusting in what I can't see. And that is a day when there is no pain and suffering, where the sickness will finally be gone, where this pain, where the trials, where the persecution will finally be gone. He says, we are confident, I say, and I would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. He said, man, I'd rather be dead. I'd rather be in heaven. I'd rather have that that glorified tent. I'd rather be in a place where I don't have pain and suffering. He says, uh, I would rather be there. But instead, he says, but until then, we make it our goal to please him, whether we're at home, in the body, or away from it. In Philippians 1.22, he says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. He says, man, to live, if I'm going to live, I'm going to live everything for Jesus. But if I die, how much better is that going to be, right? He's, but, he says, but until then, Man, whether I'm in this body or away, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to please God. To be honest with you, I'm going to be honest with you. I want to end with a couple of thoughts here about how this changes us. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm, I'm prepared to go to heaven, but I don't think I'm prepared to be in heaven right now, to go to heaven, actually to leave this life. And that's a battle that I'm, I'm, I've, I've got to face. That's a battle you've got to face. And, you know, I, I, 
am prepared for heaven, but I'm not sure I'm ready to be in heaven. Right? I want to see my kids grow up. I'd love to see what my grandkids look like. I, I, I want to see what my life is going to be like. I want to see what your life is going to be like. I, I, want to see, I want to grow old with my wife. I don't want her to be alone without me. And I don't want to be alone without her. I'm prepared. I'm a child of the king. But I don't know if I want to go to heaven right now. I, I, I was joking around with our kids. You know, be saved. Not because you were not ready for heaven. Because I don't want you to go anytime soon. You know? I'm pretty attached to this life. And, and these people. And I struggle to see the greater glory. I struggle to see the way that Paul saw things. So sometimes I am defeated. Sometimes I do feel like, like I'm not ready for ultimately to be with Jesus. When we walk by faith and not by sight, when we fix our eyes on heaven, it changes us and our view of eternity shapes us. I'm going to tell you a couple of things on how our eternity, how our view, if we can fix our eyes on heaven like Paul, how that will shape you and make you more like him. So, Verse 10, he goes on to say, For we must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. A day is coming for all of us. We'll all stand before God one day. Every one of you, turn to your neighbor and say, Your day's coming. (laughs) That's kind of crazy talk right there. He said, We will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things we have done while in this body, whether good or bad. Since then... Because of that, we know what it is to fear the Lord. He says, man, I have, a, I have a healthy awe of God. I am humble and fearful of our holy God because I know that one day I will have to stand before him and give an account to my life. And I want you to write this down. A clear view of eternity shapes our lifestyle. If we can get our eyes on the fact that one day you're going to stand before God, it will change the way you live. I mean, those petty sins, they're like shackles and chains on you, that struggle, that habit. You know what? If you can fix your eyes, if you can walk by faith, if you can look and and see what is unseen, then these things that are seen, they fall off. Since my lifestyle changes, my petty sins, I run towards the prize He goes on to say, verse 11, says, since then, because of this, because I know this, we try to persuade others. What we are in play, uh, what we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. He says, you know what, I'm here trying to persuade you to give your life to Christ. I want you to write this down, is that a clear view of eternity shapes our courage. He says, you know, I'm going to tell you, that's why I'm a pastor. I'm a pastor because I, I, I want to I wanna persuade you. I want to teach you. I want to help you to know Jesus. And I want to train you so that you can tell those that don't know Jesus. I'm here to, to, to train and to fulfill God's call in my life. And regardless of whether you are a Christian or not, I want you to know that God loves you, cares for you. He's called you to a great work and a great mission. And, and, and you know what? I don't really care what you think about me. I will stand boldly up here and proclaim that without Christ, we're dead in our sin. 
Without Jesus Christ, judgment is upon our shoulders for we have a holy God who's righteous and pure and our sin before a holy God is squelched with the wrath of his holiness and his goodness and his righteousness and his love is overwhelming, but our sin is changed to our spirit. And I'm not ashamed to tell you, you need Jesus Because I am persuaded clearly by the knowledge of eternity. Some of you, you're so afraid of what your mom and dad might think. You're so afraid of what your friends might think, of what your sister might think, what that coworker might think. It's in your heart to tell them. It's in your heart to to plant a seed. It's in your heart to invite them. And and your spirit is like, I don't know if I can. God says, look at heaven. Look at eternity. The day is coming. We're all dying. Do you care? You know what? The clear view of heaven shapes our courage. My heart moves me to stand and passionately share. I'm not easily intimidated by a look or a disapproving comment. I am bold. In verse 12 and 13, Paul basically says, you think I'm crazy, don't you? Some people think I'm out of my mind. And if I'm out of my mind, I'm out of my mind for Jesus. And he says, but if I make any sense, it's because for your benefit that God allows me to make sense to you. He says, I can't help it. And you know, I'll be honest with you. I'm sick of reading books and blogs about being a quiet believer. I'm sick of reading comments about the fun Jesus. Just be a good person. Be a cool Christian. I can't be cool. First of all, problem number one, my wife says you laughed way too loud for that. I can't be cool. And number two, I can't be quiet. I got my eyes on eternity. And when I know that you are on a, on a greased up pole to hell, man, I got courage to tell you because I care enough to tell you. Verse 14, he says, for Christ's love compels us. The very next verse. Because we are convinced that one died for all. That's all who are saved. And therefore all those who are saved have died. That means they've died to themselves. Those who are Christians have died to themselves. But here's the point I want to focus on. Boldness does not mean that you're rude or hateful or one of those like obnoxious believers. It means that you are bold in your love. I want you to write this down, that a clear view of eternity shapes our motivation. It shapes our motivation. And love is our motivation. Love is our inspiration. Love is our instigation. Love is the initiation. I must speak because I love you. I must tell you because I love you. Christ's love compels us. It's not this issue, I've got to be right and you're wrong. And I'm just, uh, I just want to, uh, I hope you go to hell. Uh, so I'm telling you, because, uh, you know, if that's your attitude, by the way, you need, to, you need to get on your knees and you need to find Jesus because the spirit of God in us causes love to compel us to be bold, to have courage through the spirit of God. Verse 15, he says, uh, chapter five says, and he died for all, all those uh, who are saved, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. He says, man, I don't live for myself anymore. I see heaven. I see a judgment. I see an empty tomb and I see a lost and hurting world. So I'm not living for myself anymore. He goes, verse 16. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. And I see the world different. When I look
look at you, I don't see you from, from all that irritating personality stuff that really drives other people crazy. I may see a little bit of it, honestly. But I don't regard, uh, regard you from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way. That means we, we, didn't have, we even viewed God and Jesus as like this crazy person. But we do so no longer. I want you to write this down. Is it a clear view of eternity? Shapes our view of the world and of people. My views on things change when I give my life to Jesus. I read God's word and it tells me how to think about things. How to view life. How to view struggles. How to view sin. How to view sickness. How to view temptation. How to view sin. The Bible tells me how to view. It changes me. It shapes me. I'm not picking and choosing what the Bible says is real. I'm letting it shape me. I'm letting it transform me. I, I'm letting, because I believe and trust, I'm learning to walk by faith and not by sight, and I'm focusing my eyes on what is eternal. When that happens, I begin to understand this word. God's word begins to change the way I look at the world and begins to change the way I look at people. And all of a sudden, I begin to understand that I have a new lens and I see Jesus different. And I see you different. I see my family different. I see those that are lost different. And I, and I see my neighbor different. I see coworkers different. In fact, the greatest verse in this entire book, I think, is the very next one. And he says, therefore, because I see the world different, because I see people different. He says, therefore, if anyone, everybody say anyone, if anyone is in Christ... The new creation has come, the old has gone. Our past, our sin, our failures, the new is here. Anyone, even the person you hate, even that person who hurts you, even that person who's a complete jerk. In Christ, we see them differently. No one is blacklisted from God. You realize that, right? If anyone be in Christ, that includes you. Mm. that includes you're that anyone. And you might be sitting here and you think, man, I'm excluded because of the things I've done or where I've been. No, if anyone, and I see you differently and I hope your friends do, I hope your neighbors do, I hope this church does. We see the world differently. We see the world through the broken lens of Jesus who came and died for this broken world so that we might know life. And That is our message, that is our hope, that is our courage, that is our endurance. He says, verse 18, he says, the very next verse, he says, all this is from God who reconciled us. Everybody say reconciled, that's a big word. The word reconciled means exchange or adjusted. That means that we have been adjusted in Christ. That means we've had something exchanged. Our sin was taken, in exchange we got God's grace. Our filth was was taken and in exchange, we got righteousness. We got God looking at us saying, you're holy in Christ, not because of your actions, but because Christ is in you. So I look at you different. You've, I've taken it and I'm giving you something. He says, we who have been exchanged, all of this from God who reconciles us to himself through Christ. Jesus, our sin, all that through Christ has exchanged our sin for grace. And he gave us, the ministry of reconciliation. God gave us the business. 
He gave us the exchange business. He says, just as I've taken your life and taken your hopelessness and exchanged it for life, now I want you to be in the business of taking hopelessness and exchanging it for life. He says, you've been given a great ministry. The word ministry means service. It means intentional, mindful service to others. He says that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. It's all Christ is doing it in us, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. It's our turn. We are the adjustment bureau. How Jesus adjusts our life, that's the word reconciliation. We are now God's adjustment bureau, extending life and exchange and adjustment to others who will listen. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, he goes on to say. The very next verse, as though God were making his appeal through us. Us who are in common, fragile clay jars easily broken, that God will pour us out, that God would show himself in us to show his goodness poured out for God's purpose. He says that God is making his appeal through us. We implore you. That means I plead with you. I'm begging you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Allow God to exchange your life. It's the last thing I want to end with, and that is a clear view of eternity shapes our assignment. It shapes our assignment. In Christ, our mission in life has changed. If you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a missionary. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a minister. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are an ambassador. Paul says we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. That's this intentional service of love, care, and compassion to people. And he says also we've been given the message of reconciliation. That is the clear message, the hope of who Jesus is clearly spoken. I want you to hear this out. God's given us two ministries, love, care, and compassion, and serving others, and the message of Jesus' redemption. God sends ambassadors. I thank God for my grandmother who prayed for my mom when my mom was running from God her whole life and prayed for us kids, grandkids, and would take us to church when we visit her. I'm thankful for that friend when I was a teenager that invited me to church where I said yes to Christ. I am thankful for that youth pastor who reached out to me and became a father to me when I had no father. I am Thankful that I am here because of an ambassador, because somebody was an ambassador. You are an ambassador. You are a minister. You are a missionary if you are a Christian. Now God is sending you. He says, I implore you go and I implore you receive this message, this ministry, this, this opportunity. God is sending us to the hard-pressed, to the crushed, to the perplexed, to those in despair, to those who are persecuted, to the abandoned, to those struck down, to those on the edge of destruction. And because we are implored and we are pleaded to go and to receive, it reminds us that salvation is conditional and it is something we must respond to. 
that salvation is not universal and that some people will actually miss out on it. Second Corinthians, he wraps it up with this. He says, God made him who knew no sin, that's Jesus, who never sinned, to be sin for us, put on the altar as a sin offering. That's what that means. It doesn't mean that Jesus became sin. It means he was put on an altar and called sin as they did in the Old Testament. He says, so that I, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's the entire gospel message. That means good news. That's the entire message of Jesus. That's the entire message of the New Testament in one verse. We are sinners. Our sinless Savior sacrificed his life on a cross so that we might be made right with God, that our sin might be exchanged for righteousness. So he says this, two verses in chapter six, the very next verse, he says, as God's co-workers, so we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. He's quoting Isaiah 49. He says, in time, in the time of my favor, I heard you, says the Lord. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. So today's your day. Today's your chance. Today's your moment. Let's pray. God, I thank you, Lord, that you have sent me as an ambassador to this room. God, I know there are ambassadors here that, Father, need to receive that call, receive that message. And God, you've called them to be an ambassador at work tomorrow, and it's time for them to stand up with service, with love and compassion and with the message. God, I know that there are students here that need to receive this call and recognize that they at school are a minister and they have like just a few days left to share Jesus with those who they may never see again. And Lord, I know there are those in this room that have been putting it off and putting it off. Lord, today is their day of salvation. And God, I implore them, I persuade them, I'm calling them, but Lord, only your spirit can work in them to respond. So if you're here today and you'd say, you know what, I'll be honest with you, uh, I need Jesus. I need his grace. I need his forgiveness. I've been playing a game. I've been going through the motions. I don't, I, don't, I don't know if I've ever said Jesus be king of my life, but today's the day I've got heaven in mind. I want to be ready. I want to lead you in a prayer, an opportunity to meet Jesus. So I'm going to ask you all to pray this with me, and I want to invite you in a prayer. So let's pray this together. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me for giving your life for me so that I might live. Thank you for exchanging my sin for your righteousness. That You made me right. Cleanse me. Fill me with your spirit. Help me to walk with heaven in mind. Give me boldness. Give me courage. I am not defeated in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Living with Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.